Welcome to Carving a New Path. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about the gifts in acceptance and surrender. I'm going to read a few stories from my book, Heal My Voice, An Evolutionary Woman's Journey. And I'm going to share some of the tools that are in there on how to navigate the times when um, your daily routines are disrupted. And here we are, most of us raised in a society that encourages productivity and do, do, do. And right now we have a chance to pause and reflect on our lives and embrace what's happening, practice going inward and surrender. I could also say it's a time for noticing what's going around you going on around you, observing, recording what you see in a journal to document this part of your life and how, you know, what insights are coming to you right now. There's an article on Medium called Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting by Giulio Vincent Gambuto. And I'm going to just read a paragraph from that. He says, the great American return to normal is coming. From one citizen to another, I beg of you, take a deep breath, ignore the deafening noise, and think deeply about what you want to put back into your life. This is our chance to define a new version of normal, a rare and truly sacred, yes, sacred opportunity to get rid of the bullshit, and to only bring back what works for us, what makes our lives richer, what makes our kids happier, what makes us truly proud. We get to Marie Kondo the shit out of it all. We care deeply about one another. That is clear. That can be seen in every supportive Facebook post, in every meal dropped off for a neighbor, in every Zoom birthday party. We are a good people, and as a good people, we want to define on our own terms what this country looks like in 5, 10, 50 years. This is our chance to do that, the biggest one we have ever gotten, and the best one we'll ever get. So think about how that relates to your life. You know, what are you noticing around you? What is happening inside of you? For many of us who are at home right now, we've been here for a month or two months, and the immediate shock of it is over. And there will be other things that are surfacing. But right now, I'm going to share two of the stories from my book with tools and gifts. You're still going to have feelings. And that's part of the acceptance and surrender is to be with the feelings and then find ways to move through that. <clears throat> so the first story, I'm going to read part of a story that I wrote about my son, Cooper, who uh, it's called Eight Gifts, The Birth and Death of a Child. And so I think I'll just jump into it without telling you a lot because what I'm reading will give you insight. 
Cooper was born at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland on June 12, 1991, with a team of nurses and doctors ready to receive him and save his life. He lived in intensive care connected to oxygen, IV fluids, and heart monitors until his first open heart surgery at three weeks of age. It was after his surgery that the first gift appeared. <clears throat> gift number one. My husband and I were escorted to the room. Over the next year and a half, we would learn that this is where the doctors give you bad news. Good news is delivered in the hallway, by the bedside, and in the waiting room. But when you are asked to step into the room, it usually means bad news. The doctors told us that the surgery went well, but Cooper was little and he was weak. They really did not expect him to make it through the night. And they wanted us to be prepared. I took a deep breath and the inner warrior mother appeared in me. The strength from within me knew that there was no time to waste on tears and meltdowns in the room. It was time for action. I asked if I could see Cooper now. In the short walk down the hallway to his bedside, I made a decision. Sitting by his bed with tears streaming down my face, I held my son's tiny little hand. I looked at the tubes and wires attached to his little body. I told him that I would love him forever and always, no matter what. I told him that if he decided to live, I would be by his side through everything. And I told him that if it were too much to stay here and fight for his life, I would still love him forever. I let him know it was up to him, but I was on his team and I would be here. Within five minutes, his life signs grew stronger. The beeps and the graphics on the monitors began to rise to healthier, stronger levels. I knew that he had made his decision. He was going to fight for his life. The first gift Cooper gave me was the experience of unconditional love. As much as I loved my daughters and I loved my husband and I loved my family it's and friends, I had never had a moment like this when I fully surrendered and detached from the outcome. I did not beg him to live and I was not going to give up. I was going to let him know I was there for him and allow him to make the decision. I didn't beg God. I surrendered to the love. It was unconditional love, an expression of loving and letting go in a way that I had never experienced it before. To give you a little bit of context, I want to say that I didn't start with acceptance and unconditional love and surrender. When I heard that there was um, something that they saw on the ultrasound, I was seven months pregnant with Cooper. And I received the news through a cell phone while I was driving the car. And my husband saying that we needed to go back to the doctor to have another ultrasound, that they had seen something. And I can remember hanging up and just screaming in the car, like, haven't I been through enough? How could this be happening? My life is just getting all together. I mean, at that point, I had already been through um, 
you know, Cooper was born after a messy divorce, three years in the court system fighting. He was born after two years of personal growth work and meeting my second husband. I was ready for my new life. And then here my son was born with an anomaly to his heart, tetralogy of below. And so by the time he'd had his first surgery, it had been three months of knowing and waiting. And even when he was born three weeks before his surgery, we had a room full of doctors and nurses waiting to whisk him to the ICU, not knowing what was going to happen. So the surrender and acceptance of that um, was a step-by-step process. The, the first thing that happened for me was I, I recognized within a few hours that I had no control over this, that I was carrying a child in my womb who had what they were calling an anomaly at that point. And so one of the things that I did to support my emotional body, to support myself, was I started to cross-stitch angels. One of the angels I was cross-stitching was an angel looking over the bed of a little boy in his bed. And I saw it that every um, stitch was a prayer. And I I cross-stitched many elaborate angels during his life, sitting by his bedside, one prayer at a time. And that gave me some groundedness, some stability for myself so that I could be there for him. And that's one of the, the keys for us during these times is find the stability for yourself so that you can then be there for the circumstances, be there for the people in your lives. You know, when they say stay in the present moment, it's about that nurturing of yourself. Let go of extra things. Just focus on your own self-care and caring for others. And that's an important part, even if you're living alone right now, it's find a way to reach out and care for someone else. You take care of yourself, care for others. And one of the things that I did, because I had two young daughters who were, um, I think they were five and six at the time, that we used coloring books. And so that helped me to stay present with them while also calming my own body and being present. And because I was able to stay present, I was able to see my son for who he was during his lifetime. He, you know, this little boy um, was filled with love and joy for us. So I'm going to read the second gift of this. During the next few weeks, I was with Cooper at the hospital every day. To take him home, I had to learn how to feed him through a tube in his nose and to administer oxygen. As much as I love my children, everyone knows I am not a nurse-type person. It was a huge stretch out of my comfort zone to learn how to insert the tube through his nose 
into his abdomen and not his lungs and listen for the gurgling sounds in his stomach that would tell me he was receiving the breast milk I had pumped on the machine. As a warrior mother, I knew that I had to learn how to care, take care of his medical needs. This was my only choice. Throughout the day, the staff and my friends reflected that I was a good mother and my commitment and love were the reasons he was still alive. This was the second gift. Cooper's health challenges and my willingness to do whatever I needed to do to care for him showed me that I was a good mother. I had been carrying a deep wound in my heart with the breakup of my first marriage. In the crazy divorce, people had judged me and tried to prove I was a bad mother. That is our court system. It really sucks how much people are encouraged to tear each other down in the custody of their children. I was always a good mother, but I had heard the lies so many times and the wound was deep. My confidence had been shattered. Through his numerous surgeries, including a hernia operation and a shunt for hydrocephalus and weekly sessions of physical, speech, and occupational therapy and doctor appointments, Cooper survived and grew stronger. <clears throat> ultimately, ultimately, Cooper did not live past the age of 19 months. It was discovered during one of the hospital visits that he had a fourth stage neuroblastoma cancer, and that was the end of his physical life. But his impact in 19 months was really about teaching us about love. You know, love, whatever the circumstances are, love the imperfection of life, be present in the moment. And because we were able to be present, we had something called Cooper's Laugh of the Day. There was a point in his life where my, his sisters, my two younger daughters, my two daughters would do something to make him laugh. It might be a funny noise they'd make or jumping up and down. And all day, if you did that for him, anytime they'd come and do it again, he would laugh. But the next morning, that did not make him laugh. He would just stare at you like, okay, what else have you got? And so it became a challenge every day for the girls to be present and look at how can we make Cooper laugh today? And once you found it, he would reward you with laugh after laugh after laugh. So looking for the gifts in the situation, looking for the gifts of what is happening in your life right now. That is the gift, to look for the gifts. In March, I was at the Florida Creativity Conference in Sarasota, right as things were starting to shut down. But I did have an opportunity to lead a workshop called Free Your Mind, Live Your Life as a Research Project. And during that uh, three and a half hour workshop, which I may do a show on that someday, um, the number one thing that I said to them is create some sort of disruption in the patterns of your life that you know, routines are great. They give us some stability. And matter of fact, during times of uncertainty, 
it's, it's good to have some stability. You know, I have a really silly way that I create stability for myself every morning is I put an apple on the cutting board and I put my strip of vitamins, my little vitamin pack there. It's like, there's just something about it. Like, yes, this is the consistency in my life. I'm going to eat that apple, which is good for my digestion. I'm going to take my vitamins today with lunch or dinner. And it's like, yes, stability is good. But to really free your mind to see the gifts, to open to something new that wants to emerge, the number one thing is to create a disruption in patterns. And some, some easy ways that I suggested was eat dinner for breakfast, um, sleep with your head at the bottom of your bed instead of at the top, or switch sides with your partner drive a different way to work something that like shifts your your mindset change something and then slow down and observe what is happening around you so right now all of us are experiencing a global disruption and the more you can accept and surrender that life is not going to be the same for you and to to take that advice in the article I read by Julio, um, that will serve you in really living a richer, deeper life. Okay, so I'm going to read a story that is a little bit tougher because, uh, you know, and I say that because the, you know, Hearing a story about someone who has a child with a physical illness, our hearts open up. Our, uh, you know, we don't judge that, right? We don't judge the person for having given birth to a child with um, a congenital heart defect. You know, our, our hearts open up. But the second story I'm going to read about living on the edge of eviction for two years, living with uncertainty around housing. And that is something that I found when I was going through that, there, were, there was a lot of judgment around it. And I noticed how, how quick we are to judge bankruptcy, foreclosure, eviction, um, you know, job loss, or whatever, or how we judge ourselves for that. And so if we can expand our hearts to that being another opportunity for learning and gifts, and how can we support each other on the planet? So I'm going to read, um, we'll see how much of the story I read. I may read the whole story to you today. And um, all right. This story is called An Eviction Notice, and with that simple action, I began to find my way. The muscles around my heart constricted, and I struggled to breathe. A wave of debilitating fear, terror, and frantic asking hit me like an unexpected tsunami in my early morning meditation. What does my soul want to learn? 
This question was an inner asking in response to the eviction notice handed to me by the apartment complex manager. There I was, sitting on the living room floor, leaning against the wall with my eyes closed, arms wrapped around my knees, scrunching up in a rocking fetal position, searching for an answer by repeating the question in my mind, what does my soul want to learn? I ended up in this constricted space after several days of quietly asking and listening. The slow, steady pace of asking the question and waiting for the answer had turned into an impatient, desperate mantra. Enough of this Zen-like, patient practice of asking and waiting. I needed an answer now. Why is this happening? What does my soul want to learn? What does my soul want to learn? What does my soul want me to learn? A year had passed since I sold my house and moved from Baltimore to Los Angeles with my 17-year-old daughter, two cats, and a carload of our personal belongings. A small storage unit in Maryland held the rest of our belongings as we explored this thing that was pulling us here. I knew I needed to disrupt my life and get some space to hear my own voice and figure out the next part of my life. My husband died and I needed a change. Hannah felt the first pull to Los Angeles in 2005, right after her dad died. We are going to move to Los Angeles, she declared with confidence. I was skeptical until 2009 when I felt the calling from my own soul on another trip to Los Angeles. My soul said, move now. After a year of letting go of our home and personal belongings, we had taken a flying leap of faith, leaving our community, trusting that the net, the answers, the next steps would appear. But now, after a year of solitude, exploration, networking, and trying to build a business, I had reached a dead end. I had no more ideas or answers. I was out of money. I was living on the edge, and we were facing eviction. Sitting on the floor in the dimly lit living room of our apartment, all of my confidence and faith shattered. This is the picture I saw in my mind. Eviction equals shame plus humiliation plus failure. In my lifetime, I have been stretched and have grown through the loss of a brother, a divorce, the loss of a job, the loss of a child, a serious illness, the loss of a husband. I see adversity as a great teacher that has driven me to know myself. I believe that I am responsible for co-creating these experiences with a higher power. Call it God, source, spirit, nature, universal intelligence, soul, or whatever words you use. I have lived life as an adventure, connected to source and embracing everything. But why was I adding eviction to my life experiences? What more could I possibly learn from this? In the meditation, I worked with feeling and clearing the energy of terror and fear for over an hour. None of the clearing techniques were working. Finally, I sank into a deeper surrender. I surrendered to the intense feeling of terror and began to embrace it as a teacher, as I literally took off all my clothes and stepped into the shower. Hot, steamy water rippled down my naked body as I leaned my forehead against the cold shower wall, surrendering with deep sighs of release. 
I finally took a deep breath, inhaling and exhaling, tuned into pure stillness and paused. With the long pause, I asked the question again and waited for the answer. Question, what does my soul want me to experience? First answer, vulnerability in the moment. I rolled this answer around in my mind. In the moment, haven't I been vulnerable for such extended periods of time that I can no longer distinguish one moment from the next? Every moment feels vulnerable. Just a month earlier, I had devoted all of my energy and time to host a constant stream of grief transformation and support. 44 radio conversations in 45 days on blog talk radio, to be exact. I was completely exposed and truly vulnerable on public radio as I shared personal stories and cried about the deaths of my husband and son. Hadn't I been raw enough on the radio? Still in the shower, arguing and defending myself against this inner guidance, I stopped. What about the practical issue? Why would anyone hire me to advise, counsel, or coach them while my life appears to be falling apart? Would anyone hire a homeless spiritual coach? Why would they listen to me? I could be vulnerable with myself, but not with anyone else. I was holding two energies at the same time, a feeling of failure and despair, and a belief in infinite possibilities and hope for the future. Without hesitation, the next little gem seemed to fall right out of that very idea of exposure. Second answer. You have to write about it publicly now. Sparks of thoughts flashed in my brain. How could I share this publicly? An eviction is not a conversation to be shared at a dinner party. Like cancer, divorce, and death, eviction is a topic that many people run away from or try to brush aside out of discomfort or the fear that this could happen to them as if it is contagious. As I thought about writing publicly while I was living in the breakdown, tears of shame came pouring out, buckets of warm tears falling from my eyes as I stood in the shower sobbing, gasping for breath in between the gut-wrenching emotion of terror. I shouted, no, anything but that. And in the moment that I shouted out loud and heard my voice, I knew that was the through line. The through line is the bridge that links two ideas together, like illness to health, and connects you to new ideas and solutions. It connects you to the turning point where infinite possibilities can emerge. That was the message from my soul. Write about it publicly and be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be seen right now. The tears flowed from the core of my pain. The tears were in anticipation of people feeling sorry for me and feeling personal humiliation in this depth of vulnerability. The tears were in anticipation of my family and friends being embarrassed. And the biggest tears of all were for the reaction from my daughter, Hannah, who had just turned 18 on January 30th, and who, for the first time since her dad died five and a half years ago, was beginning to feel safe and healed and excited about the future. I felt powerless and worthless. I felt like I was letting her down. 
What was wrong with me that I couldn't create the life we both wanted here in California? As I stepped out of the shower, I knew it was time to take action, to move my body and stay open to this orchestrated opportunity from my soul. I had received an invitation to attend a Grandmother Speaks event on the beach where women gathered to honor the wisdom within themselves and the wisdom from the ancestors. My friend Levon had invited me to come and to be nurtured. So I'm going to stop um, there and I'm just going to read the very ending. I want to leave you with the greatest truth. Even when things appear to be falling apart, even when support does not immediately change your circumstances, even when you think you are out of hope or options, there is a key and a through line. You are stronger and wiser than you may know. And this thing that is happening right now has a gift inside. Listen for the inner guidance on what to do next. And with that simple action, you will begin to find your way. So I want to share a couple of things about that time. There was terror. There was, there were really strong feelings that were happening and things didn't change overnight. It was two years of living on the edge of eviction. And there were things that I learned during that time. Um, for instance, you know, that was 2010 and social media was still a pretty new thing at that point. You know, you had some people who had jumped on in 2007, 2008 onto Facebook or we're using Twitter. And I'd learned from some of the travels I did with my youngest daughter, how to use these different social media platforms. So little by little, I found new ways. Like I started an online business um, and, and it was, it, it came in bits and starts, you know, and that at the time when um that was happening. I a few months later, I started Heal My Voice, a nonprofit working with women online to write stories of trauma, loss, and grief. And there were times even with that where there was money coming or there was no money. I mean, some of the things that I learned during that time, um, and I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to tell you about two energy tools. We'll, we'll practice that so that if you are feeling anxious or uh, at any time, maybe you're not feeling anxious today, but if it comes or there's terror, I will share a few tools that really help me navigate and get a clear enough head to come up with some new ideas, to, to get to the other side of what my soul wanted to experience. But some of the things that happened was, you know, I had the first eviction notice and I, um, you know, I decided to go to court, uh, just to the courthouse and start asking questions. I had never talked with anyone who was going through an eviction. I didn't know anything about that. You know, I'd always had a job or lived with someone who had a job and, during times that we were stretched financially, when my husband was starting his own business, for instance, I always had friends who brought us a you know, box of food or paid the electric bill. Like I had support from a community and 
I, in turn, when I had, you know, is sharing resources. It's just part of the life that I lived in Baltimore, Maryland. And then here I was in California, not really knowing anyone and not having that. Well, one thing that I learned that there was nothing I could do by going to court, even though it said you can come to court, if you just didn't have money, there's nothing the court can do. I also learned that in our apartment complex that there was a late fee of $500 that was now added to the $1,500 rent that I couldn't pay. So it's like, I really saw how hard it is for people, even if you're going through a short time, to like get out of it. I had one day where I was walking through the grocery store with $1.60. We didn't have food in the house and I had $1.60 to find something for us to eat that um, I was gonna be paid $300 uh, a few days later. I was waiting for the check to come in the mail, but I had $1.60. And as I was one wandering through the grocery store, I wondered how many people in the store right now have less than $2 to feed their family for a few days. So it was, you know, it was a hard time, but it, it did open the door for me to come up with some innovative ideas. And something to know about me is that, um, you know, that I did, I did find a way to make money and have an online business and have a flow of money coming in and uh, was able to find a, an apartment that was better that I could. Yeah, and then my daughter went to college and found financial support to do that. So we made it through that time and learned a lot and there were a lot of gifts in it. But there was a point where I decided that sometimes when I was leading a project for Heal My Voice, there wasn't a flow of money. There were people who wanted, who needed support writing stories of trauma, loss, and grief. And I wanted to support them or I wanted to support women's voices and have, you know, offer more affordable programming for them. So I decided six years ago that I was going to live house free to eliminate rent or house and um, you know monthly expenses and so I was going to do that for a year a year has turned into six years and again that's another story I'll share with you also and that's pretty drastic you know that's pretty radical for most people especially if you have a family to live like that but I would encourage you to look to open your eyes to what is actually emerging around you. Where are there, how can you share resources? Where do you get support? Who can you share something with because you have more? You know, maybe you're the person who's going to pay the electric bill for someone else um, or bring them a box of food or donate to um, one of the organization, one of the food banks. So looking at that, like where are you, what's the acceptance and what is the surrender for you? So two, two tools I'm going to mention. One that has been really helpful for me at, during those times that have been, uh, you know, night terrors or, or crying myself to sleep or something is tapping. And so I have, um, it's a series of tapping and I've posted links to in the 
show description to YouTube so that you could go and experience that if you've never experienced it. So um, two of my favorites are Jessica Ortner and Brad Yates, and those are free resources on YouTube. And then if you have some money to invest in your personal growth and your support, then there are um, programs to learn more about how to do that and personalize it for yourself. And then the other thing I want to do right now with you is an energy clearing. Through some of the, the toughest times, one of the things that I would do at night, because I, I was at that point, my husband had died and I was a single parent with, with my daughter, teenage daughter. And as I would go to bed at night, so you can do this with me if you want to. I first I would do, I would be in the bed and I would imagine a loving force, a loving energy holding me. And so for me, sometimes it would be calling in Archangel Michael. But I've also had, you know, you can call in an angel or a spirit guide, something that feels good to you, but it could also be a deceased loved one, you know, or, or an energy, it could be a TV character even, who you just felt really nurtured by the energy of that person. Um, you know, it's like you can just call on that. So one of my grandmothers was a very magnetic love beam of a person. And so sometimes I would imagine just being a little girl and having her hold me. So as I'm going to sleep, so that's the first thing. Find someone or something where you can feel the force of being held. You know, and you might Google Archangel Michael or find another being that you can really believe in your heart that you are connected here. So I'm calling in Archangel Michael right now to be with us. And then, and again, it this would take some time because I would have so much fear or terror bubbling up about what was I going to do tomorrow? How was I going to make money? Take a breath. And then I would imagine that above my head, there was a golden light, a golden liquid, and that that's coming in through the top of my head and going through my body like a scrub brush, like going through a car wash. And it's coming in, it's nourishing me, but it's also scrubbing away and picking up all of the terror or fear and just going down my body, down my body, this warm, comforting liquid. It's taking away all of that terror and fear and going all the way down to my belly, to my pelvis, down my legs, and out the bottom of my feet. And then I would do it again. So let's do it, let's do it two or three more times. Imagine above your head this golden warm liquid. And it's coming in through the top of your head, going down through the inside of your body, brushing away, picking up anything that is not serving you right now, the fear, the terror. You could even imagine it taking away any kind of um, virus or 
Yeah. Any, anything health-wise also. Imagine it just washing it out of your body, down through your chest, your belly, your pelvis, your legs, and down through the bottom of your feet. And keep breathing. One, when we're feeling fear or tense or stress, we'll, there's a tendency to hold your breath. So take a breath. Let it out. And let's do this together one more time. Focusing on the top of your head. Just invite in a warm gold liquid. Let it go through your body, just kind of clearing you out. Letting everything go. Down through your belly, your pelvis, your legs, and taking everything with it that's out the bottom of your feet it could be like a muddy liquid below you that you see. And that's something that you can do before you go to bed. It can be something that you do throughout the day if you notice that you're feeling anxious to just feel yourself for a moment being held. This will build up some emotional resilience in your body, the feeling in your body. And there were times where I would fall asleep at night and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night feeling this anxiety or terror. And I would call in Archangel Michael and I would ask him to hold on to me. And then I would do that energy clearing over and over again. It might go on for half an hour, it might go on for an hour but to just keep bringing in that energy. And then I would go back to sleep. I would go to sleep. So these were two of the stories from my life um, and different ways that I've used tools. So I encourage you to really spend some time. I mean, another one that I kind of mentioned, but I'll just mention again, is journal writing. And journal writing can be bullet points of, you know, today I feel happy. I saw a robin outside the window of my house. I feel some relief. And then you can write, I'm having a bad day today. You know, or you can write gratitude. You use it to document this time for yourself because things are changing for you. And the, the recording of your life will be something that you'll then be able to go back and see the clues that were leading you to something new right now. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to continue to have, pop, have podcasts where I share some of my own stories and also with guests using tools and resources to carve a new path 
in your life, in my life, and in the life of the world. What do you want this country, this world, to look like in 5, 10, and 50 years? You get to make choices today to help define that. All right, all for now, signing off, Andrea Hyland, Carving a New Path. Thank you.